In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the internationally acclaimed OGGN HSE podcast, heard in over 100 countries and sponsored by Endress and Hauser. Endress and Hauser is a leader in measurement instrumentation services and solutions for industrial process engineering. Endress and Hauser, the people for process automation. And today I'm going to jump right into the show because I'm very excited about the guest that I have on today. And I hate to use terms like very excited about the guest I have on today because all my other previous guests are sitting there listening and saying, well, wasn't he excited when I was on there, you know, <laughs> and we are excited about our guests because we have good quality guests and that sort of thing. But in keeping with our theme, making sure everyone comes home safe, and that is what we are most passionate about. And for a long time, I've wanted to have someone from Intercorp on to talk about the great story that they have regarding, I hate to use these tired terms, but what we call HSE culture. And Intercorp has a great reputation for that. And so I didn't have any contacts to talk to them about it. And fortunately, Mark LaCour, who of course is the head of OGGN and does the flagship podcast, Oil & Gas, this week, he's uh, friends with Mark Freeman, the president of Intercorp. He introduced me to Mark. And in turn, Mark introduced me to Gareth Young. That's who we have on the program today. Gareth, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. So Gareth, you are now the Senior Vice President of U.S. Operations for Intercorp. But specifically, before actually you got that promotion, I guess, you were the HSE lead for Intercorp. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. I actually started with Intercorp just a, a few months after it was founded before we did our first job. They brought me in as the director of HSEQ to, to kind of build out the program here. So Intercorp, you say when they first got started, now how long ago was this? It was uh, initially founded July of 2013. I believe our first job was October of 2013. Well, we were booming in 2013, but fast forward about 12 to 18 months after that, boy, things took a, a definite turn in the opposite direction, didn't it? It absolutely did. It was, uh, it was a very scary time there, especially for a fledgling company. And so you guys were able to weather the storm, huh? We were. Yeah, we weathered the storm through just some some very solid management from our, our upper management team and then just the uh, finding a, a kind of a niche market to, uh, to grab a hold of. And our president, CEO, uh, is James Pong. He found a, a really great solution to a problem that was in oil and gas and through some technology really attacked it. It was what drove us through the downturn and turned us into the company we are today. Well, that's great. And since we do have an international audience, you guys are actually, your headquarters is actually in Houston, right? That's correct. That's where I'm talking to you from right now. Yes, sir. Sitting in my office. So Gareth, tell us a little bit of, about yourself and how you got into this line of HSE. Sure. So I, I'm actually originally from New Jersey, so I'm a, a transplanted Yankee to the South. My mom is from 
Dallas. So I, I feel like at least I had some Southern heritage. I, I get to at least claim that bloodline. So that is some saving grace for you. <laughs> Absolutely right. I can say I got out of the North as quick as I could. So I, I left New Jersey as soon as I graduated high school. I went to uh, USM for part of my undergrad and then finished up at UL Lafayette with uh, an undergrad in history of all wait, things. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, USM and then you go to Lafayette? That's right. You did get out of the North as quick as you could, didn't you? I did. Yes, sir. I was just on a, a continuous Southern track. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. So you got your degree in what? In history with a, uh, a minor in English, which was seems like kind of an odd fit to fall into where I did, but I can tell you that I'm a man of faith and I believe God orchestrated every one of those maneuvers to put me where I am today. So I finished up my undergrad and while I was going to school, I started in the oil field. So I started just as a shop helper for a, a wireline company called Perfilog that was located in Broussard, Louisiana. And did some field work. I spent some time offshore, mostly in between school semesters and summers. And then once I graduated, I tried to make it in the real world. I went out and tried to teach with my degree, found that uh, the world doesn't really value teachers very much and don't want to pay very well, and, and decided I'd go back into oil and gas. And I had a, a family friend that was looking for someone that had both oil field experience and teaching experience. And they had a safety trainer position open for a, a company that serviced superior energy services. And I interviewed for the job and started the following week. And that was really how I got into the safety field for the, the oil and gas market. And I spent about a year teaching and teaching safety and training courses for superior energy services and all their subsidiaries. Wow. That is, that is an interesting story. I have a friend who actually came from Canada to Huntsville, Texas, which has a little university in it called Sam Houston State University. In fact, they were uh, national football champions for uh, whatever division that is, you know, not Alabama and Texas A&M and, and all those, but uh, the other one. But they're actually, they had sent him from Canada to Huntsville, Texas to get a criminal justice degree because they're famous for their, you know, criminal justice department. And uh, he gets a job in a warehouse at Magabar, you know, in the summer while he's in college, he winds up offshore like you're talking about. Anyway, long story short, he graduates with a criminal justice degree on Saturday and checks into mud school on Monday and the rest <laughs> is, you know, <laughs> rest is history. the rest is history. So let's talk about safety. And I'm excited to have someone on the podcast like you with the background you have who can shed some light on safety and on as our theme is everybody coming home safe. So let me just throw it out there and let you run with it from there. Sure. Yeah. Safety for me, I mean, it, it started in kind of training phase. I didn't, didn't really have a background in it other than when I was put through the new hire orientation at the company I, I, I actually started with. And it really just consisted of sitting in front of a computer screen for about five days and just watching videos and taking tests. And, you know, shamefully, the guy said, hey, the answers to the tests are in the upper right-hand corner of the desk there. So just make sure you complete all that before you go out into the field. And then when I got out into the field, I actually had several near misses. I mean, I, I can recall climbing up onto the top of a stack, probably, you know, like a wellhead with a stack on it. I was 
going up in a man lift with no fall protection, climbing out across to uh, to stab the lubricator on top and probably be, you know, 15, 20 foot in the air, never tied off. And and I didn't know, you know, didn't know any better. I was a kid who grew up climbing trees and figured this was the way that things were done in the oil field and had a, uh, a crane hook fail on me in uh, offshore. And we were, you know, actually dabbing in a screen with uh, centralizers on it. And it came loose from the, the crane hook because the hook was malfunctioned and dropped that. I luckily pulled my hands out before the stabilizers caught them, or I'd have probably lost both my hands in the oil field. And so just my experience when I was in the field was old school oil field, right? It was get the job done. And unless somebody raised a flag, you just did what you wanted to do. And nobody really taught me any different so when I got into the training aspect of things, it was interesting because I was learning as I was teaching a lot of the stuff that I thought, man, I wish somebody had told me this when I started. And then I got pulled from there to neighbors drilling. So I a field safety guy for, for neighbors for several years and then got pulled into a district that was over South Texas for a couple of years. And then from there, I got promoted up into the corporate office. And, and the drilling world is very dynamic, lots and lots of moving parts, high risk, and just managing incidents. It was almost like managing incidents by fire. I mean, there were nicks, bruises, bumps, scratches into amputations and lost time incidents all the way up to fatalities. And, you know, the more time you spend in the industry, especially when you're bombarded with that level of, of frequency of incidents, you can go two ways. One, you can either get really jaded about it, or two, you can kind of start to grow some compassion around it and try to figure out how do you how do you make things better? This can't be how it is, right? There has to be a better way to get these guys home at the end of the day and not have them mangled and mutilated, right? That every incident, I can tell you from probably thousands of investigations I've done over the years, every incident has been preventable. At some point along the line, every one of them was preventable. And you start thinking, how do you get there? How do you really get to the meat of preventing these incidents? And so I've been very blessed in my career, right? I've, I've got to see everything from the, you know, drilling in and sputting the well all the way through to production, early production facilities. And I can tell you that the constant in every one of those, even though they're very, they're very specific industry, like pieces of the industry there, you know, you have to have skill sets for each one of them, but the constant is always people and people are the same, right? We have the same wants and desires at the end of the day. We all have families and hobbies and pieces like that, that we want to get home to. And so I feel like safety is one of those things that just transfers from specialty to specialty and industry to industry. And it became a real passion for me over the years. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Sorry for the interruption, folks, but I just want to share a few quick things for November. First, our industrial mixers here in Houston, November 17th. It's usually the last Thursday of each month, but because of the holidays, we're having to move stuff around. We're also launching a new live stream, OGGN Unscripted, on November 16th. We'll be at the Rockwell Automation Fair, November 10th to 11th. You can come free. We'll have a live podcast there. We'll be hosting some panels. And then we'll also be at the 23rd World Petroleum Congress, 5th through 9th, once again with live podcast and hosting a couple of panels. For this information and everything else, just follow us on social. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. And if you go to LinkedIn, go ahead and join the OGGN Street Team. I'll see you again next month.
Well, I agree with you 100% about that last point about, you know, it transcends industry to industry. But since you mentioned, you know, and talked about oil field culture and you use the expression, you know, everything went along on the rig, for example, unless someone raised a flag. And the only kind of flag that were raised for a long, long time was an incident. You know, something bad happened. And I noticed you used the phrase, you know, you're just going around, you were putting out fires all the time. And then you talked about, you know, the guy who said, here, we got to go through this safety training or whatever, but here's the answers, you know, just let's just get this done. And a couple of problems happens with that. People, unfortunately, maybe it's part of our human name. Maybe it's the way we deal with our mortality or whatever, but it's always like the attitude, this can never happen to me. And then again, we're putting out fires instead of trying to prevent, you know, the old Smokey, the bear, only you can prevent forest fires. So I was interested in what you said about, well, you can either become jaded about it and kind of throw up your hands and, you know, just accept kinds of things are going to happen. I think there's another reaction that a lot of safety people make the mistake of, and instead they, they try to become the traffic cop or whatever, who's trying to catch everybody, you know, speeding around the curve or whatever. But I was uh, interested in what you said was you took a different attitude and said, the key is teaching people. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely. I mean, that that was kind of the neat part of my career is when I was approached by Intercorp to kind of build out a program. I'd always been part of programs before and I've definitely had influence in different regions of where I was, but I never had the opportunity to build something from the ground up and getting to kind of start at the, at the ground and say, okay, well, what do we really want to accomplish here from an HSE culture standpoint? And, and then how do we, how do we even achieve that? Right. Without it being a bunch of safety cops, without it being strictly about compliance, like how do we, how do we build something to where people want to work here and that our safety culture is actually an added value to our company and something that attracts talent and doesn't doesn't it's not something people just tolerate and put up with. Wow, that's where you started from because that's a tremendous point. Yeah, it was challenging 100%. So, I mean, in a startup phase, you've got a bunch of talented people that have come from all different companies. And you're really trying to learn one another and you're trying to build a new program and establish a culture. And so the founding year was very challenging for us, just trying to figure out, you know, who we are and how do we make all those systems work? Like to know what you want to accomplish, but then how to get there two very different things. And some of it's just trial and error. So tell us about some of that. Absolutely. So, you know, building out a program from scratch was challenging in the fact that you had to build out policies and procedures, you had to have those things in order to function properly and then just go to work for companies. And I'll give you an example. So, you know, short service employees is is a big deal for every company, right? It's always a challenge when you're bringing new people into your company and how do you manage that well to ensure they, they adapt to your culture? How do you make sure a lot of it is customer driven as well? They want to know that you have a program, follow it, But when you start up, everybody in your company is an SSE. So you don't go to work with a bunch of what we call the pumpkin patch, which are just orange hard hats with SSE written on them. It throws up a lot of red flag. And so we didn't want to be unethical in the way that we approached it. We didn't want to just put people in white hard hats and just hope that the customers didn't ask. So we developed something called the pre-qualified SSE, the PQSSE. And in order for someone to be pre-qualified, 
we had to establish competencies. Okay, so what should a level one operator or a level two operator look like? And build out actual competencies of what those look like. And then we had to interview people and make them walk around and show us things and talk to us and say, okay, you've got more than a year of experience in what we're hiring you for. And you have passed these competency checks that we would normally put on a, a brand new SSE. And at that point, we would give them a white hard hat, but they would get an orange orientation sticker so that they were still qualified as an SSE, but they're a experienced SSE. Now they're just learning our culture. They're not actually learning their job. And that was that was kind of how we we managed that piece on the forefront. And it's something that stuck with us to this day. I mean, we're we're now eight years old and we still utilize that to bring in qualified personnel and make sure we still keep an eye on them and we know who they are and they have to still complete three to six months of SSE status, but they're but they're in an experienced level SSE versus someone who's just this is their first oil field job. Right. Very different. Yeah, extremely different. But in doing this, you've created an environment that is, you know, if you bring me on, I want to go through this process. I want to learn more. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it establishes day one what is important to us as a company. So we don't sit people in front of a computer and tell them, good luck and here's the answers. I never wanted that to be anybody's experience because what that told me was we don't really care about safety. We're checking a box go to work and try not to get hurt. And and we want to establish day one, hey, look, this is a big deal to us. We have a new hire orientation process that these guys go through, which is intercorp specific. It's a full day just in a class with us. And then there's, you know, ancillary classes. And you may spend three or four or five days in training before you get out into the field. And we've made sure that it stayed personal, that, that when you come in, you're going to go through a competency check just like that. And that tells the guy, the candidate, wow, these guys are serious. They want to know that I know my stuff. Nobody else does this. And when they sit through orientation and they have a, an actual instructor-led orientation who they can ask questions to and who's passionate about our program, they walk out of that orientation going, these guys are different. These guys really actually care. And it sets the tone for who we are as a company on day one. And that's really part of our, our process. That's part of our HSE vision is establishing expectations day one. Yeah. So you not only let them know it's a big deal to us, but you motivate them to understand that it's a big deal to you also. And it's a big deal to your family. 100%. 100%. The whole, the whole process is driven to, to really build around the why of safety. There you, you go. Know, and that's the key. And I don't think, you know, we're definitely not the first to discover it. It's one of those deals where you, you've got to get people to want to do the right thing, not have to do the right thing. Exactly. And if you can translate that over, if you can grab a hold of the hearts and minds of people and really get them to understand why we do what we do, then they're going to do it when you're not there, as opposed to I have to do it and I'm only going to do it when somebody's watching me. You know what, folks, what you just heard right there in the last 30 seconds was worth the price of admission today. And that works not just in, you know, specifically talking about a safety environment, but as I often say, you know, HSE is a specialty and maybe this is HSE is a specialty podcast, but in one sense, it's not because everybody's a part of and involved in HSE. And so what you just heard there, whether you're talking about trying to establish a safety culture or whether you're a, you're the HR manager or you're the 
you know, the manager of all the administrators, you know, whatever position you're in, that's what you have to do is you have to create that environment where people are doing the right thing when somebody's not looking over their shoulder. Yeah. And it's one of the core values of our company. So we, we built our company around four core values, which is integrity, work ethic, teamwork, and caring. Integrity is just that, right? It's doing the right thing when nobody's watching. And we built that. So I'll try to summarize a few things pretty quickly because I know we've, we've been on here for a bit, but all of this kind of birthed our frontline leadership class, which is, I think, one of the things that really drives our HSE culture forward on a consistent basis. It's about three quarters safety culture topics, and it's about one quarter HR topics, but it's a full day focused with frontline leaders. And we really tried to take them through our four core values and how those things integrate into safety culture. How does integrity play on safety culture? How does work ethic? How does teamwork? How does caring? And and we really, in that course, we teach them the, the psychology of choices. Why do people do what they do? And it generally boils down to two things. It's either don't know or don't care. And don't know is easy, right? You can very you can teach, teach that, right? Hundred percent, right, right? But it's the don't care that's the kind of tricky part. And a lot of times, it's not that people don't care; they just don't care enough. And it goes back to what you said in the very beginning: the idea that it's just never going to happen to me. And, and we call that risk tolerance at the end of the day. Like everybody has a certain level of risk tolerance that they accept when getting on the road or, you know, climbing on a ladder or getting on the roof to put lights up for Christmas, right? We all have a level of risk tolerance. And really what that is, is the belief that I know what happens in the world, but it's not going to happen to me. Right. And you've got to figure out a way to get people to see real risk and, and understand the actual real reward value behind the actions they're taking. And teaching leaders how to do that and how to have a conversation with somebody to drive that has been game changing for us. And it would be game changing for a lot of other companies if they would learn to adopt that. I kind of, you said something a while ago about being a man of faith. And I I look at these uh, four values that you just brought up here. So it sounds like maybe this company was started with some other folks, maybe that had some of the same values as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I believe, you know, I would say the leadership of this team here are all men of faith and and ladies of faith. And it's what drives us at the end of the day to, to build a company that's not just about generating revenue. It's, it's honestly about building jobs for people, building lives for people and valuing the people that work with you. And 100% that comes out of the faith aspect, our leadership team. Well, I want to tell you, Gareth, and as you said, it's time for us to wind down. We might want to think about having you on again and even expanding on some of these other things or maybe even taking those four core values and fleshing those out a little bit more. But as I said, it's refreshing to have someone on like you. It's refreshing to let a worldwide audience know that there are companies like this and that, you know, you can be this way too, and we don't have to become jaded that's a terrible way to live. If someone wanted to reach out to you, if it's okay, we're going to put your LinkedIn URL in the show notes. Sure. And we'll also put the Intercorp website in there because that's kind of an interesting website to look at. Again, I want to, I just want to thank you, Garrett, for having come on the podcast. 
And as always, I want to thank everybody for listening. Ask you to tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S. based and international partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. OGGN is the world's leading oil and gas podcast network. Please check out Anderson Hauser and OGGN on our respective websites. That's listed in the show notes. You can also sign up for our monthly giveaway there. Please leave us a review on your podcast platforms, like us on LinkedIn, and use all your social networking and media to tell your friends about us. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.